The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. This morning's scripture reading will be coming from Ezra chapter 7, 1 through 10, and chapter 8, verses 21 through 23. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Mirioth, son of Zariah, son of Uzai, son of Buckai, son of Abishua, son of Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the chief priest, This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given, and the king granted him all that he had asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers, and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Chapter 8. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God, to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king. The hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen, amen. If y'all, y'all know that we do at Downtown Church, I, I, I want us to start off just giving God praise. Will you just stand to your feet and put your hands together for God Almighty. Lift your hands up because He is glorious. He is mighty. Richard said this morning His love goes beyond all that we can think or ask. It is high and lifted up. We thank Him. The devil will try to distract you by doing anything, but just lift your hands to God because He is glorious. He is mighty. He is Holy, just take time to say, I thank you, Jesus, because you brought me here. You took my mind off of everything that would distract me and my attention from you so we can stand together as the body of Christ. Let us pray before our holy and righteous God. Lord God eternal, our Father, we bless your holy name. And we know that there is none like you throughout the heavens and the earth. And we continue, Lord, to give you glory through all that we do. You are an awesome and mighty God. Your love overwhelms us. Your love takes over our hearts so that we may focus on you. It washes us. And we thank you, Jesus, because we can come to your sacred and inerrant word in this book and hide beneath it as well as your cross. 
knowing that you will always lead us and guide us. Use me, Lord Jesus, now to hide beneath your cross, to speak to your people. And as we do, Lord Jesus, I pray that all the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. All God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, uh... Thank you all who have been visiting us. If um, you have a moment, please fill out that little portion of your bulletin. We just want to be intentional with letting you know that you can contact us or give us your contact information if you have any questions. Uh, Richard, myself, Terrence, and the other parts of our staff, we would love to, to meet with you and get to know you. So please fill out that information uh, as well. And if you've been visiting us for a while, uh, we'd love to, to get to know you. Um, and uh, please take Aaron up on coming to our Discover Seminar to find out who we are, February 18th, and, and more about us. And also, if you have gifts, particularly men in singing, um, please contact Adriana. Uh, she would love your voice. And uh, Lord willing, we can get a male chorus going. Amen, somebody? Okay. Because <laughs> y'all don't want to see me up here singing. I might just go. <laughs> but, uh, I, uh, and let me let me let me welcome one of our visitors. Uh, she's a good friend of both Aaron and myself, Yana Connor. She's coming from all the way from North Carolina by way of St. Louis. We went to the University of Missouri together, MIZ. We are you. That's uh, it's just a shout out. We beat Kentucky yesterday, so we still. Uh, but a beloved sister, we have so many memories. She just said to me, "I thought you were gonna be a comedian," and I said, "I'm still working on it. that's my side hustle." So. <laughs> Anybody come check, catch, catch me at Chuckles? Uh, amen, amen, amen. Uh, and by the way, the brothers in here that continue to wear bow ties and three-piece suits, I am going to be challenged to, to come in my attire uh, and present myself well upon the Lord. I'm trying to stay laid back, amen, but I like wearing ties, three-piece suits, and all that good stuff. Uh, <laughs> Listen, if you're joining us, we have been going through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, and you may have heard us, if you've been through us with this series, that is one book joined together. And what we're trying to draw the attention to is that God is uh, finishing the work through his people. And we're not talking about the work of salvation necessarily. We're talking about rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the wall. And if you could just sit in this building, you can recognize that there needs to be work done. Amen, somebody. Uh, but... The tension you see is that even though that there is work that is undone, it draws our attention to the exposure. It draws our attention to what is not cleaned up. And so uh, it allows us to see that from the internal aspect, there there's work to be done. And that's what we are trying to carry over throughout this text, is that we're unfinished. And that as temples of the living God, uh, He is still working on us and perfecting us. And at the day of glorification, He will perfect us in all of His goodness and His mercy. But yet now, we know that there are areas of our lives that are exposed. And so we just need to trust God in His timing. And that's what we've been trying to convey throughout this time. And you know, and as we look at our text in particular, uh, Richard last week preached a, a great sermon on chapters 5 and 6 and as he did what he was communicating uh, was about the joy that we have in God's obedience uh, and being obedient to God and so when we 
look at what Israel had been doing, we have to recognize that 60 years had passed since chapter 5 and 6, um, going in chapter 6 and 7. And 80 years initially when they had returned and rebuilt Jerusalem. I mean, uh, rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. And so you have to remember that in exile, the Jews, as they uh, were going to Jerusalem, many of them were very poor. They didn't have much. Nebuchadnezzar had, keep, had torn everything apart. And so a lot of times we can be overwhelmed to see that these powers like Assyria and Babylon and, and Persia, these empires were superpowers at their time, so much so that uh, it caused a small minority of individuals like the Israelites to crumble and to be held captive. But we have to realize and not be distracted that it wasn't as if these superpowers overpowered the, the one who has all power. That wasn't the case. The fact is, is that Israel where Israel was unfaithful. They rebelled against him. And God, that's who they rebelled against. God had given them, given them over to their enemies. That's a clear distinction. Because we understand that even as we look at it today, in modern day, there's no superpower, no political figure, no amount of wealth. No one can dethrone God. No one can remove God's hand from his people. And that's what we see that is pretty much the refrain throughout this text. And this memoir that Ezra is writing, we have to see that God's hand is on his people for them to do his work. And so when we look at Ezra, who's finally popped on the scene in chapter 7, he is one who is writing this memoir, and think of it as he's reflecting, writing to the children of Israel. And as he's reflecting to on what happened, uh, he's a reformer, he's an administrator, a leader, he's uh, an imperial agent uh, on behalf of the king, and he's been committed commissioned by God, who God has moved King Artaxerxes' heart, uh, just like he moved Cyrus's heart to send the people of God back to Jerusalem in order to build the temple. And it was totally political because like any other king, it was very pluralistic. They just wanted to be in, they wanted to have favor with God. And so as we look at throughout this text, you, you see that Ezra is resource plenty in order to serve and sacrifice. And, uh, and, and King God Xerxes is doing this because he wants favor with God, uh, the covenant Lord, Yahweh. But he cannot. And so Ezra leads this group of individuals. It's about 1,700 people, uh, men, so to speak, but then not counting the women and children, it was about 6,000 folks. That's an incredible leader, leading 6,000 people on a journey. At first, Richard had said, as we initiated this, it was 42, over 42,000 people uh, that, that first went to, to Israel, I mean, to Jerusalem. And so we look at this and we say, Israel, Israel, I mean, uh, Ezra is leading a smaller pack, but still a large group of individuals to Jerusalem and as he gathered them you see in chapter 8 I didn't have Marissa read all of those names at the beginning of chapter 8 but please uh, go in your time and hold your tongue and repeat all of those names as you read in your devotional time uh, but what we see is Ezra takes all of the folks and he gets them together and they, as they make the trek they realize they don't have any temple servants and so we see Ezra calls temple servants uh, and he gives them the words to say to to, uh, uh, to Edo and as they do uh, out of 220 servants they only have 38 Levites. Now the Levites you may say what's their importance? What's their significance? We'll find out more about this throughout the, throughout the text but the importance was for them to serve the temple. They knew the rituals. They knew what to do and Ezra being a priest, Ezra being 
being a teacher of the law, he was able to teach everyone what needed to be done uh, in order to allow this journey to be one that would glorify God. So Ezra sent ahead uh, all of the the priests and the Levites in order to make sacrifices. But before he did, they had planted themselves right by the river for three days in order to pray and fast. As they were praying and fasting, um, it is good for, for us to know that that prayer and fasting was for God's protection over His people, uh, and so that they can, and God would make a straight way for them in order to make it to Jerusalem. Now you say, my God, you sent us through all of that. Yes, just to catch us up if you haven't been with us. But listen where I think we connect with Israel. We connect with Israel in the sense that in our society today, we are not different from a spiritual exile. In the sense in which we have given ourselves wholeheartedly to pledge allegiance to the cultural material and secular idols of our day by sacrificing and giving our time to them. By giving, by placing them over God. And what we have done is, just like Israel, we have not adhered to God's word. Remember, God said to them, no other gods before me. He gives them the commandment not to make any graven images. But yet, they were so attracted to Assyrian and Babylonian idols. And they felt as if since they were in captivity, they had to worship them. They fell into the lust and the temptations of their hearts. They had fallen to the idols of intellectualism and lust and pride and greed and instant gratification. We too have fallen into that at times. As a church in our personal lives and as a universal church. And in doing so, what this text does for us, and I think this morning, we may be just a tad bit uncomfortable and challenged by the fact that even though that we're unfaithful, God is still faithful to His people and to His promise. It is Isaiah who says that His word will not return to Him void. His word won't return to Him empty, so we must do something. Here's our task. Let's just simply be devoted to God. That's what we learn from Ezra. A man devoted to his word. And what we see is out of that three things that we need to do, just simply trust that his hand is upon you. Trust that God's hand is upon you. And then also place your entire life in his hands. And then lastly, rest in the palm of his hands. I will begin to expound on each of those points, but I want you to just to hold on to the trust, to place, and the rest. Trust, place, and the rest. If I were to simplify that for you. Why must you trust that God's hand is upon you? And how do you do that? Abide in His Word. Abide in His Word. It's as simple as that. And the reason we say that is just think if Adam and Eve had heeded to God's Word. They were in the Garden of Eden. They were in perfect harmony with God. It was shalom for them. And that they did not have to want for anything. But their rebellion led to the first exile. And that was the exile of the garden. And that exile caused them to be separated from God, the one who created them, the one that made them. And you know the challenging thing as we read and see this is that the exile for them only perpetuated the tainted fallenness of our society and of all of humanity. We all suffer from this. We're 
all tainted individuals and in our hearts we, we rebel against that, that reckless love. We, we fight against the love that fights for us. The awesomeness of God oftentimes overwhelms us, but yet there are times we fall to the very idols that call us and whisper to us. I, I want to let you see that the exile was a rebellious act, so God sends people and prophets, covenant representatives, to His people, but yet what do they do? They still rebel against Moses. They still push against others. You see, David even falls in his kingdom. Why do they fall and yet they have the most powerful God? It was in Exodus 15 that they proclaimed that you are God and you are God all by yourself. That was a huge declaration knowing that everyone else worshipped the moon, they worshipped the sun, they worshipped the stars, the ground, everything that was around them. It was a huge declaration for them to come out of the Exodus and say that He was the one true God. What is it that we must notice about Ezra? That God was sending a man who was dedicated to the law, who was about to bring reformation to God's people. Ezra was no mere teacher, but he functioned more so, as some would say, as the Secretary of State. So he had somewhat of a political and high role, and his high ranking allowed him to have influence. But what did he desire the most was to to abide in and by God's word. Let us not allow that to go unnoticed, because we see in verse ten where Ezra had said, "He uh, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it, to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel." When we abide in God's word, we benefit from His provisions. The psalmist who reminds us in Psalms 119, he says, With my heart, my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. And I store up my word in your heart that I might not do what? Sin against thee. Sin against you. The wisdom in that is that the deep aspects of our heart allow us to implant God's Word in it so that when we're conflicted, He begins to reconcile us. The definition or the idea for heart in this passage is a a place or a locus in a person's thoughts, his mind, volition, emotion, and knowledge for right from wrong conscience, understood as heart. To allow our hearts to abide in God's word, we will see fruit. We will see fruit. In fact, we will bear much fruit. That's the promise. Mike, where are you going with this? The fact that we abide in God's Word and trust in Him allows us not to simply engage with people for have theological debates, but it allowed the sanctification of constant spiritual renewal to happen in our lives on a daily basis. What we are challenged with is not that we won't be tempted by idols. 
It's not that we won't be tempted to pursue or desire something over God. It's the fact that if his word is hitting deep in our hearts, something will remind us and say in the deep areas of our lives that you need God more than you need that job. You, you need God more than you need that relationship that you may be sleeping with that guy or that girl. You need God more than the individual that is trying to call you or pull you back into a lifestyle. See, I think that spiritual exile is not just for some, but it is for all. That the devastation that we have that is in separation from God, some of us who are not believers may not understand being separated from God, how deep it causes us not to feel loved. But let me paint this picture just for a moment because I know many of us don't understand what it means to be loved deeply by a father because we haven't had that fatherly love. Ah, but see, the idea to love the God, the Father who loves us in such a deep and, 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 and wonderful way goes beyond our comprehension simply because we haven't investigated how He's cared for us and made provisions. Are you seeing how we're tied to the spiritual exile? See, let me extrapolate on this just a bit more. The spiritual exile causes many of us who are challenged intellectually, our idol may be to engage in other theological thinkings and to say this too conservative or to be on one side to say that it's too liberal. But what I want to say to you this morning is I understand the challenge in your mind, in your heart, not to abide by God's Word, whether you are on one theological uh, uh, grid on another theological grid, but see, the idea of it is if it separates you from God, it leaves you in devastation. Uh, let me get, go just a little bit further. See, I think in our marriages, spiritual exile happens when husbands don't necessarily allow themselves to lead because every day they come home providing, but their wives crave for them to leave them. Uh, sons and daughters crave to be discipled, but see, spiritual exile happens when our kids are discipled by TV and culture. See, I know the Super Bowl is coming on. And I know it's a worship day for some, Brother Nate. But see, the idea of it is, is that when we allow culture to dictate our lives, it leads us into spiritual exile. When Israel allowed the empires, the super rulers of that time, to leave them, it led them into exile. Y'all see what I'm saying? Our faithfulness to God should be one in which it glorifies Him and it recognizes that He is the God of our life. Even when it comes to moments where it's difficult and it's hard to resist, if we just carry His Word in our hearts, brothers and sisters, if we just hold on to it, I promise you, right on your college campus, you will see God restore community. You see God revive community. Right where you are in the law office and in the justice system, you will begin to see God restore uh, community. You will see God restore the, the actual justice system and things around you because you are a redemptive change agent in that area. I know some of us have addictions, and I promise you, if you just abide in God,
God's word that pornography addiction, that alcoholic addiction, that that painkiller addiction, that that addiction to drugs, that that, that addiction to that guy or that girl, it, it will fall off. God will do it. But just abide in His Word. Which means that you trust that His hand is upon your life. Give your attention to Him. Our next point is just to place our entire lives in Him. Why? Because He gives us courage. I remember being at church uh, back in St. Louis. I'll tell you all about my church uh, all the time where I became a believer at the age of about 15 or 16. I was sitting in a worship service and the preacher was preaching. And as he was extrapolating on God's goodness and he was expounding on his word everybody, you know, this is a black church so people, ah! You know, probably three or four folks was running around and as he was hammering God's word and, and he was beginning to get to his end what happened was a man who I knew in that particular area that was the neighborhood I grew in it was, it was nothing but bloods in that area it was a gang and so he had his colors on and as he walks all the way from the back he came up to the front and the front had steps that went all around the altar I know some like altar what do you mean by that that's, that's, just rock go with me some people have altars you're not burning incense or killing bulls you just bring yourself to it. but listen to this we didn't have sophisticated security or anything like that, but we had some brothers who would come along. And as he walked up to the, to the altar, he began to walk up the steps. The deacons started to come towards him. The pastor held them off. And there was this table, the slab table that he would preach from. And as he walked up to him, the man said something. We couldn't hear it, but he pulls out a revolver. And when he pulled out the revolver, he handed it over to our pastor. And everybody could not believe what was happening. Our pastor took the weapon and he began to dump all of the bullets out of the revolver. This fully loaded weapon was now disarmed so everybody was at a little peace. But catch this. The man whispered to the pastor, our pastor, who he began to tell us afterwards. He said, I had all intentions of going to kill somebody after this service. But something told me to come to church today. Why do I tell that story? Why, why do I mention that? It's not because everybody, nobody preached no more. You, you bet everybody start running. Ah, glory. Because you could not believe what God did to penetrate his heart right then and there to cause him to be so courageous in order to surrender everything over to God. Oh, what do you mean everything? The very challenge that he was feeling in his heart was to take another life. But God intercepted it in order just to deposit a word in his mind, in his heart. If I'm just stopped by the City of Life Christian Church, maybe something is going to change just right there. I don't think y'all are tracking with me so much. I know God's word will change and penetrate the hearts and the minds of people. I have seen lives transformed because of the power of this word. It still has its power. It still has the ability to rule and super rule over our minds and our hearts. And it gives us courage to give everything over to God. 
And this is what we see when we look at chapters, uh, when we look at verse 27. Ezra says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who, who put such a thing as this on the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. So the same spirit that day that moved that young man's heart is the same spirit that worked in that day that moved King Artaxerxes' heart. It's the same spirit that moved King Cyrus's heart. It's the same spirit that allowed Isaiah to prophesy 150 years before King Cyrus made the decision in order to send Israel back to Jerusalem. He changed his heart to write on those pages for people to take those scrolls and for folks to read those. I don't know where y'all at, but I'm praising God right now. That is the God that we know who gives us the courage to be prophetic and to place our entire lives and hearts in His hand. Why? God will use whoever, whenever, and whatever to do His sovereign will and allow it to fulfill His redemptive plan. So God superintends this narrative simply because He's the one controlling King Artaxerxes, and he, even though he permits him to, uh, permits Ezra, Ezra to go back to Jerusalem, and he's also the one that is over and influencing Ezra as he is controlling those that are around him and making provisions. But listen to this, because it's, it's a practical sense in where we see this, that in, in the letter between verses 11 and 26, you may, you, know, you may not have, you, we ain't read all of it, but you may not get the weight of it understanding that Ezra pretty much got tax-free money. The church wasn't taxed. He got seven advisors and counselors. The things that Nebuchadnezzar stole, the vessels, the utensils for the, for, for the temple, for the holy temple, were stolen and destroyed. He gave it back to them. Then he also said, you have all access pass to the treasury and the treasurer. Whatever you need on your behalf, just go ahead, tell them, I sent you, send this letter, and then he'll give you whatever you need for your... For your hey, that's mind-blowing. That's mind-blowing. Because we know that in difficult situations, oftentimes we try to make it or plan ourselves. Many of us are, are individuals who are trying to pursue careers and are already in the middle of our careers and trying to make changes in our community. But let me remind you that if you do it apart from God, if you don't place your entire plan in His, in His heart, in God's will, in His life, it will not flourish. It won't flourish according to a way it will glorify the Lord. God not only allows King Artaxerxes to see that Ezra and the Israelites need to go to Jerusalem, but in verse 25, you may miss this. Let me read it. He says, And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may all the people who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river all such as know the laws of your God y'all may have missed that one King Artaxerxes just told him to rule the area by God's word this is why he pretty much in 27 says a 
a doxology of bless the name of the Lord. Because he moved the heart of the king in order to beautify Jerusalem. I'm going to make this very practical for you because some of y'all may what are you talking about? I give glory and you should give glory to God that no matter where you are and what adversity you may encounter, you need to praise the name of the Lord that you are still here and able to bless His name because He's giving you courage to continue to stand on His Word. Remember what I said, that God is faithful to His people and to His promise. God will not switch or change His promise as long as you stand on it, you have foundation. So, we know that the Torah was used, as scholars would see, in a broader term. The law was embracing instruction, deed, indeed, revelation, uh, and all, as well as all commands. In fact, it reminds us, and with, Tim, with what Paul said to Timothy, that God's word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completed, equipped for not just some work. Who know the word? Not, not, not just a few works. Not just a couple works. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and your pinky toe. Work. But every good work, He gives the responsibility over to Him because of that. And He gives us the same responsibility. The reason being is because when we take God's word, it gives us courage. I mean, think about it. Ezra is actually appointing officials. He's appointing the governor. I know. I know. Mike, how is it, what does this have to do? Because I believe in my whole heart that God has put many of us in positions in order to infect our systems. It was one elder that I know, judge. He's a judge in this city. And I had lunch with him and he, and, and he blew my mind because the way that he, he deals with cases that are like SVU cases. Special victim unit kind of cases. And he said, Mike, a lot of the people that I encounter are men and they actually come from fatherless homes. And he was saying that he had one man that what he would do is he would say, you know what, I'm going to sentence you, but you have three years to get your GED. This is what he told him. You have three years to get your GED. If you get your GED before three years, I'll let you out on probation. This is a judge, a Christian, a believer. And what he said was, what he does is use their sentence in order to move them to better themselves. What am I saying? I'm saying that God can use many of us to be in positions, whether that be a judge or a school teacher, to be a doctor or a lawyer, to be a janitor, to be a train driver, to be a bus rider, to be the UPS package man, in order to infect people's hearts and minds simply by the way you engage them. God uses every good, God's word is for every good work. Every good work, no matter where you are, it is every good work because he gives us the courage to place our entire hearts and minds in him. But he also causes us to rest. And when you look at verses 21 through 23, they fast and they pray. And as they were fasting and praying, what we recognize is that simply Ezra was having them pray that God make provisions and protect them. 
It was natural for them to fast and consecrate themselves in order that they may humble themselves, is what the text says. But what's interesting is that Ezra, we can see two different styles of leadership. As we look, when we look a little bit further, some of us have already read Nehemiah. Nehemiah asks, he asks for military help. Ezra does not. Because Ezra actually said that he's thinking that it will be counterintuitive to the fact that God should be able to make this thing work and we want the king to see that God's hand is on his people. And so Ezra says, I don't want military assistance. But he knows he's they're very vulnerable. So they trust in the Lord and he begins to have people to humble themselves in doing so. This is incredible simply because we see, and I want to make this very practical for us as church members, that there are very different, various different ways we can contextualize ministry. Ministry and leadership in ministry, worship, philosophy of ministry, what we do in our day-to-day lives, it affects, I'm talking about a worldview. It affects how we perceive things and look about, look at things, but it's saying there are more ways to slice a pie. More ways to skin a cat. I don't know why people say that phrase. But that's what we see and that's, that's the element in which we can take from, from this. But I don't want y'all to miss this. Is that as they were humbling themselves and fasting, one of the key principles in our life that we miss in practicing godliness is self-control. Self-control. Yes, we live in a time where we can binge watch all the Netflix. Hulu. We can take it, we can go to the buffet line and we can eat all we want. I, that's my sin. <laughs> we also can go and if we have unlimited access to materials and things of that nature, we, we want. We, we want so fast. We can't even wait on the commercials that come on on Hulu or, or YouTube because we gotta skip to the next ad so we can see it. The self-control that we learn here is to be patient and wait on God to make provisions. And as you rest in His protection, even when you are making decisions, you should know that He is always with you. We were just talking about this as a staff. So many people today, we were looking at the demographics of downtown church. They use life coaches. People use self-help books in various different forms in order to instruct them, give them direction, and to, to counsel them. I'm not saying don't go to a counselor. What I am saying, though, is there is the ultimate life coach. And this is not a self-help book, but this is the guidance for your life in which you should allow it to inform every way you think. And the reason I say that is because when we don't die to ourselves, when we don't practice the mortification of our lives on a daily basis, we miss out on the spiritual worship and presenting ourselves as living sacrifices to God. And it causes us not to rest in His hand. Because we become anxious. We become fearful. We shame ourselves. We're overwhelmed with so much that we don't know if we should go back to work. The conflict that we have on the job. We don't know how that's going to turn out. The conflict that you have on whether you should take this job or that job. You don't know how that's going to turn out. But if you rest in God, I promise you, 
He's going to make it work in your favor. That's the promise. I remember, it just reminds me as being a dad, y'all may have heard me say this illustration before, but my son, when we first started taking him to the pool, <clears throat> he was very much in love with the water, but he didn't want to be in the water. So we had bought him one of those Bass Pro <clears throat> little life vests, and it was bigger than him. It was bigger than he thought it was bigger than life. And so we put the little vest, the vest on him, and we strapped him in. We jump in the water, you know. I learned how to swim at a place called Matthew Dickey Boys and Girls Club. Um, and so that place just taught me how to survive in the water. I, I, I didn't have a, you know, I can't, I can't do that. I could just get out the water. Amen. And so I let my son know that I got you because it's three feet and it's only going to go up to six. So we're fine. And so I grabbed him and his mother already was in the water. And what he began to do was just grab me and say, no, I don't want to go into water. He was so fearful, I can just feel him trembling. But I was just trying to assure him that I was right there with him. So I just put my foot in the water first. And when I put my foot in the water, I just said, come on, son, I got you. And as he was coming a little bit closer, I grabbed him. And he, he just he was still a little bit reluctant, and his mother was encouraging him. And, I, and I, I was just looking him dead in his eyes. And I was trying to say with my fatherly voice, son, I am with you. And as I was trying to speak to him, I was just re iterating the fact that son I am with you and when I was talking to him I was letting him know that my hands were around him that he can clamp his legs around me which he did very tightly and as we step closer into the water I can feel him continue to shake his head and say no but I just reminded him that I am with you and so when I was telling him that I was with him what happened was he was able to let go just a little bit and even though that he may have thought he was moving on his own strength. What he didn't know was as long as he was in the Father's hands that he can swim and he can move all that he wanted. He can rest in my security. He can rest in my assurance. I don't know if y'all know where I'm going, but as long as we are in God's hands, we can rest and he will protect us. See, you don't see in the next couple verses is that as they were walking, it said in verse 31 at the latter part, and the hand of our God was on us and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. God is faithful even as we journey through life. He gives us courage. Because as we trust in the place in which we rest our hand, rest, if it's God's hand, we're secure. But if it's in our idols, they'll fail us. If it's in our own strength and ingenuity, it'll fail us. If it's in our own ability to try to make a way by how much money we have, it'll fail us. If it's in our family, it'll fail us. If it's in our education, it'll fail us. What we know this morning is that God will never fail us. This this table reminds us of that. That what He did on the cross 2,000 years ago was something that will be forever remembered throughout human history and forever mark and change the believer's life. If you do not know Him, please get to know Him. 
If you do know Him, this table is for you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we honor and adore Your holy name. Because we're reminded that if we trust in You and we rest in Your presence, that You, Lord, by Your Scriptures, will move our heart, You will protect us, You will make a way out of no way, You will never leave us nor forsake us, You will always, Lord, always remind us that You are faithful to Your promises. So allow us to be devoted to You. For it is in Jesus' name, all God's people say, Amen.